Well, if you have your Bibles handy, why don't you take a moment just to turn to Matthew chapter 25. Um, we're going to carry on with this series that we're in, although I kind of feel like I want to go back and start again because kind of we're rehearsing this, the S, aren't we, a little bit today? But it's good that we do that. We're in this series called Shape. If we can just throw up the first slide, that would be a blessing. Thank you. Um, and this series called Shape, uh, we're pinching the idea, appropriating, borrowing, having, claiming, uh, from... from uh, a church called Saddleback Church over in California, uh, pastored by a great pastor called Rick Warren. Many of you will have read his book, The Purpose Driven Life, or The Purpose Driven Church, and hopefully been impacted by that. It's great stuff. Uh, um, in their church, one of the things that they do is they run this course called Shape. And we're not just kind of doing it word for word. That's not what we're about. We're making it very much ours. In fact, if you look at the book <clears throat> and follow this chapter you will see that we collide occasionally, whereas other times you'll have seen the fingerprint running all the way through. And, uh, uh, but I want us to ground it for us here. And the idea is this, that for each one of us, God has got a plan and a purpose for our lives, which is just like incredible news. It's incredible news. That God has a plan and purpose to use you and to do something in your life, and that it's unique to you. And the way that we discover what that is, or sorry, one of the ways, the way suggested by this great book, um, uh, the course that they run, is that we discover our unique shape, which is made up of these five things. Uh, what are our spiritual gifts, what we've just been thinking about a few moments ago? Last week we were thinking about what is it that's in our hearts, what is it that moves us? What are those people that we were immediately drawn to and want to bless? What are the issues? What is the dream? Where does our brain go when we think of the things that we'd love to do to make an impact? What's the stuff that's in our heart? Today we'll think about our abilities and we'll think about the difference between abilities and gifts and some of that stuff. Next week we're going to think about personality and then we're going to, at the end of this E, the E here is our experience. And the idea is this, as we identify for each of us that unique blend of things which make us us, we'll be better able to understand what it is that God's calling us to do and more fully enter into that because we're just more aware of it and we can see what God's doing and we can partner with him. So on one level, this could be a lovely psychological exercise in self-understanding and analysis, or this could be the launch pad for us fully getting involved in the things that God has got for us. Now, if it's a psychological exercise, you understand each other better, well, that's been an okay thing, and I don't want to knock that, but the great thing would be that we use this as a spur to find what is it that God wants us to do, that we let God speak through this stuff and really give us a kick in the pants to get moving. And maybe that's a bit of this morning. You know, we're three weeks in. It's, you know, it's a few weeks ago that I spoke about discovering our spiritual gifts. And I want to say it's a good time for us as we go through the course to be asking those questions. Maybe opening up a new journal or grabbing a piece of paper and beginning to prayerfully say, God, what are those spiritual gifts that you've given to me? And if there's no answer to that right now, don't wait till we get to the end of the course or later in the year, but right now this week be saying, God, would you release to me and show me what the spiritual gifts are? Those are the things that you couldn't possibly do on your own. Some of the things that Charlie listed, and if you want to get some life group notes, speak to Jenny or a life group leader. Uh, let's just quickly identify life group leaders who are in the, in the house this morning. One, two, three, uh, any more? 
one, two, three, four, four house group leaders, life group leaders. So speak to them, they'll get you some notes. A list in the notes from spiritual gifts uh, for you to kind of be thinking about some of those things that are spiritual gifts. Be using that. If so far after last week you haven't sort of paused to think, where's my heart at? What are the things that really move me? What is it I'm giving myself to? What is it I dream about? I want to encourage you to start doing that. And today we're into abilities. Excuse me. (coughs) So these abilities are different from spiritual gifts in that the spiritual gifts are about what God has given to us, what God has breathed into us that only makes sense when God is at work in us. Like if his spirit isn't with us, none of that works anymore. Our abilities are different. Our abilities are some things that we might naturally be very gifted at. So my son, Nathaniel, he's incredibly gifted at taking information in. The boy has a brain like a sponge. He hears a fact once and it's rooted and it's there. His sister has different abilities. When she was about, I don't know, two and a half, three, we sat her on the back of a donkey on a farm we were visiting one day. They put the helmet on her, she sat there and she, put, she sat there in the saddle and they put the reins in her hands and she wiggled a little bit and then she brought the reins in until they were just tight enough in her hands and she held them like this. And we looked at each other and where on earth? Like for her it was natural. Okay, so I'm going to need to kind of rein this in so I can just feel the tension on the rein and nobody told her to do it. Natural kind of ability. Some of those are abilities that we train ourselves to do. So we have people around us who, in this church who, who have skills that they've honed over years to be able to be so good at what they do. Whether that's architects who spent a long time drawing, or people in planning who spent a long time figuring out how organizations work and how they change. Whatever it might be, we have people among us, people who are nurses, who figured out that when that person does that, it's likely to be because this is going on in their lives. And they've honed their abilities. Now, if the spirit wasn't at work among them, they probably could have still done some of that stuff. So this is about those things that we've learned or those things that are natural to us that we find we are capable of doing. Each of us have got abilities. Each of us have things that we can do either because it was just like it came naturally, it was a knack that we found we have, and then we've continued to work with that and we've honed it, or because we have purposefully trained ourselves to be able to do something by training and repetition and by study. You understand, these are our abilities. I want to say God can use those too. Isn't that wonderful? Well, providing, you know, if your ability was being able to, I don't know, hurt people, then maybe that's not a great one, but anyway. A few weeks ago, I made it to Holmesdale. I say that because back at the end of last year, I tried to get to Holmesdale, and all the roadworks around Woodford Wells meant that it took me an hour and 50 minutes from dropping my kids off at Loughton to get into Holmesdale. An hour and 50 minutes. So embarrassed, I had to reschedule. And uh, I was there a couple of weeks ago, and it was my great joy and my delight. And while I was there, I touched a little on this passage that I want to share with you this morning. And in Matthew chapter 25, we have these three parables. Does anybody know what the... Obviously, we're giving you one of them here, but um, there are three parables, three stories Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 25. Does anybody know what any of them are? Give me the first one, anybody? 
The virgins, thank you, nice, clear, the virgins. So these ten women who are waiting for the bridegroom to come, five of whom have got extra oil so they can wait throughout the night, and five of whom didn't. And when the bridegroom comes in the dead of the night, five of them find they're not quite ready, they have to dash off to find some more oil, and they end up being left out. The second parable, (coughs) it's on the screen, Uh, there's this, oh, let's just leave that one up for a second. Um, The second parable is the one that was on the screen a moment ago, and it is about this manager, this manager who's going away, this rich person who's going away, and so he distributes some stuff to people who work for him in order for them to get on with using it. And then the third story is, anybody know? Sheep and the goats, thank you. The parable of when Jesus comes again and he says he will gather all of the nations before him and he will separate them one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll put the goats on the left and the sheep on the right. And he tells them that these goats have really missed it. They messed up completely. And they didn't help Jesus when he was hungry, when he was thirsty, when he was naked, when he was a prisoner, when he was uh, in hospital, when he was a stranger. They ignored him. And so they get left out, whereas the others did respond. And, And they said, when did we ever see you? And he says, well, as much as you did it for the very least of these, you did it for me. These three stories that Jesus tells. Now, they're great stories, and I've preached on them many, many times. In fact, one of them, the parable of the sheep and the goats, has been utterly formative in my ministry. If you want to understand me, understand that parable. But here's the question. Why did Jesus tell those three stories? You see, often when Jesus tells stories and parables, he's responding to a question, a question that is either spoken or is just hanging in the air and nobody dare speak it. And Jesus answers questions. So what question do you think Jesus was answering when he told these three stories? Anybody? Well, here's the thing. As is so often the case with Jesus, the question he was answering is not the question that he was asked. The question he was asked, and you find at the beginning of Matthew chapter 24 is, when are are all these things going to happen? When is the end of the age going to come? And these people were very concerned. They knew that one day God would come and the end of human history as we know it now would happen. And so they were very, very concerned because here's the Messiah and their expectation, his followers, and it's just his followers who are with him, their expectation was that it must be pretty soon. And they wanted to know when is it going to be? And Jesus' response to them is not, well, okay, get your calendars out. It's, you know what, I'm not going to tell you when it is, but here's how you can live so that you'll be ready whenever it is. Isn't Jesus mean? (laughs) It's like, get ready, it could be any time. You want to know when it's going to be? What I want you to do, what I want you to be aware of is, there's a way of living in the waiting time. And these three stories he tells are to illustrate ways of being in the waiting time. These are stories for those who wait, who wait for the return of the Messiah. And the first story tells us in that parable of the virgins, the first story tells us this. You cannot rely on somebody else's spiritual experience, their experience of the Holy Spirit. You've got to have your own. And of these ten virgins, five of them had extra oil and were prepared, and five were not. And the five that were not missed out on everything that God had intended for them. There was more, but because of their inability, because of their 
the resistance to what God was saying, they missed it. Friends, I want you to hear that. It's possible that there's more for us that God has that we might miss it because of our lack of preparedness. And the preparedness in that first story specifically is about spiritual experience. It's about having the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just hear what we were talking about all the way through that first part of the service with those words that we've had about the utter dependence we have on his spirit. And so we need to be ready for ourselves with our own experience of the spirit. We can't just borrow somebody else's. Oh, but I was in a church where all these prophetic words happened. But did you know the Spirit? Did you know the Spirit? I was in the church where this incredible work was going on and the Spirit was really taking care of the poor and the naked and the hungry. Yeah, but were you full of the Spirit? Did you know Jesus? Were you close to him? That's what the first parable tells us. Be ready. Maintain your spiritual connection with the Father. Be filled with the Holy Spirit constantly. Be knowing his power and living in it. In the third parable, it's not a description of do this and get to heaven. It is, has God's love impacted you so much that you just cannot help but love the world? When you see the need in the world is your immediate reaction. These are Jesus people and he loves them and he cares for them. And so I'm going to love them and I'm going to care for them because that's Jesus. And Jesus is kind of saying, if, if the revelation you have of who he is and what he's about and the life he's called you to, if the impact of that is not that you just automatically start to love the world, that's a wake-up call to you. You need to do something about it. Have you been impacted by God's love so much that your reaction to that is to see God in the world and to seek to love and to return that love? That's what the end of Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats, is all about. It's not do this and you'll get saved. It's this is what the saved look like. That's what Jesus is saying. And in this middle parable, this middle parable, it says about this man, this man who, who's going on a journey. I'm going to read the story to you. From Matthew chapter 25, I'm reading from verse 14. Again, the man, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the one who'd received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of these servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who'd received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. 
So you knew that I harvest where I've not sown and gather where I've not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has 10 bags, for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Happy endings. Wow. That's quite harsh, isn't it? In fact, these are some of the harshest words that Jesus speaks. He does have harsher words for some people. Just be very grateful you're not a Pharisee. But here he has some of the harshest words. And look who they're for. He doesn't say in this story that the, the master who gives away all this money gives them the same amount and expects the same. He doesn't. In fact, he's very clear. To each of them is given amount according to their ability. According to their ability. They were not given more than they can cope with. They were not given more than they could have used well, that they could have invested properly or whatever. According to their ability, God entrusted something to them. And here when this judgment comes, the judgment is, what did you do with what I gave you according to your abilities? God has given to you a unique set of abilities. What are you doing with them? Are you using the abilities that he's given to you to take the other things that he's given to you, your spiritual gifts, the dreams and the desires of your heart, what we've been thinking about already, are you using your abilities to invest those things, to make use of those things, to see those things, those spiritual gifts he's given you, the dreams and desires he's put on your heart, the people he's put on your heart. Are you using your abilities, the skills and abilities that you have naturally or that you have honed over the use and of practice and training, are you using your abilities to maximize those things? It's quite a tough question, isn't it? I want you to see the reason why it's a tough question and why it feels hard because the implication is huge. And here's the thing. When Jesus makes an investment in the church, when God gives us things, when God asks us to do something, there's one massive reason why. And it's because we live in a world of people who need to know the love of Jesus. We live in a, a world of people who are broken and who are lost. The people in our neighborhoods, the people in our wider families, they need to know Jesus. The cost of you taking the things that God's given you according to your ability and then not using your abilities to maximize them will be that the impact of the church is lessened. Oh, but Jonathan, I can only do a little bit. So I'm just going to hold on to this because I can only do a little bit. I know that there's a risk here. I know that the stakes are high. And I don't want to take a risk. So I'll just sit with it and keep it safe. You're right, the risks are high. The risks are eternity. The risks are impact. The risk is you and I and us being everything that we are called to do and to be. The stakes are really high. And the good news is, God doesn't entrust you with stuff 
that then you have got no ability to maximize. He doesn't like put a call within your life to go and save a whole nation, which would be impossible for you to do. You will discover as you spend time thinking about what your spiritual gifts are and discerning them and beginning to use them, as you spend time prayerfully wondering, Lord, what is that stuff in my heart? And just kind of getting in touch with it and paying attention to it and noticing it. You will discover how the abilities that you have been honing over your whole life fit with those things. Let me give you an example. A very, very close friend of mine who trained in science and is a great scientist. And he kind of loved science, and he worked for a whole bunch of different agencies. He ended up working for the Environment Agency, and he would go around farms, and he would tell farmers how to make the best use of their land. And he kind of enjoyed it, and it was an okay life, and if you really pushed him, there were lots of things in his life that he really enjoyed. His work wasn't particularly one of those things. One day in church on a Sunday, he hears an appeal that we need more Sunday school teachers. And uh, first of all, he just hears this little prompting in his own heart that his own heart is that he loves kids. This chap is one of those people who's just wired that way. Kids are drawn to him. He's funny. He is warm. He inspires them. He encourages them. He's got an incredible mind, just kind of like, he just naturally does it. He's got a way of asking kids questions that draws great responses from kids. He's a beautiful man. One of the most beautiful people I know. And so he hears this call for Sunday school teachers, and he thinks, oh gosh, our children, who's got a concern for children, our children need some more help. They're not becoming everything they can be because we have this lack of Sunday school teachers. This is not an appeal for Sunday school teachers. It's a true story. So he puts his name down and says, well, I don't know if I can, but I'll have a go. I'll have a go. And he prays about it, and he jumps in and has a go. And after several months, and I can't remember how many months, I might remember, I think it was like nine or ten months a year maybe of doing this stuff, he takes stock of his life as he's hearing God speak. I'd love to say it was through the shape course, but it wasn't through the shape course, but something similar. He was spending time praying, and he took a, a little kind of inventory of his life to figure out where was the life in his life? What were the things that he was really enjoying? And it occurred to him that the thing that gave the most life to him, the place where he knew his spiritual gifts and his heart and his abilities were coming together was on a Sunday morning teaching kids. And so he thought, I think God's calling me to do this all the time. And so he completely retrained, having had a PhD in science, he completely retrained and became a school teacher, and now works with some of the most difficult kids in our nation, kids who are excluded or for whatever reason cannot engage with school at all, he either goes into schools where he's had to learn how to safely wrestle kids and put them into a a position where they'll stop hurting other people, or even go into their own home because they refuse to come to school and begin educating them. You see, his abilities, which he honed and he trained, started to get in sync with his spiritual gifting and where his heart was at. Now, I'd love to say it's all been a bed of roses. There have been times when teaching's been really hard because he's a teacher in the UK. And it's really hard to be a teacher in the UK. It's really hard. But life came 
when his abilities were used to match what God had already put in his heart and when he discovered a spiritual gift for teaching and nurturing and caring young people. God has put within you abilities and the ability to use those to maximize what he's put in you already as a spiritual gift and what is in your heart. We are all called to do that. And if we don't use our abilities, or if we covet somebody else's abilities, we get into a proper mess. You see, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is writing this, and he says, there's been a bit of an argument in the church. I know it's, it's hard to imagine that a church can have a falling out. We're very blessed here that we haven't had many, praise God. But this church did, and it fell out over the issue of leadership. And he writes to them, he says, what is Apollos? Apollos was a leader that was, some were saying, we should listen to what he says rather than what Paul says. What is Apollos? What's Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor, for we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. One plants, one waters. See, if you've got a great watering ability, You need to get on and water. If you've got great planting ability, you need to get on and plant. It may be that you can see things that need doing and you can initiate and begin and you can plant a seed and get that seed in the right place at the right time in the right soil so that it will flourish. It may be that that's not your gifting or your skill at all, you can't kind of seize that. That's not your ability. You haven't got the ability that seizes an opportunity and sees where opportunity is and dives into it. That's not the ability that you have. Your ability, however, is I can see that little plant growing there. I can remember to water that regularly. I can remember to wrap it up in winter so that it gets, doesn't get frostbitten. I can take care of that. I can spot the signs of when the plant's starting to get some dead leaves on it and I can take them off and I can water that and make sure that it becomes everything that it was ever meant to be. You see, one sows and one waters. And if you've got a really good watering gift, but nobody's planting, you're going to be frustrated because they're disobedient in, your plant, in their planting gifts. You might even be tempted, you might even be tempted to start planting seeds willy-nilly all over the place just so you've got something to water. And it all starts to go a bit awry. If you've got a planting gift, then you need to plant. If you have an ability you can spot some of those things. You can sort of read the signs. You say, there's an opportunity. And when I say, or somebody says to you, or a spirit says to you, could we do this? You're the person that says, yeah, but we'll need. And you can get your pen and pad out and you can list the six things that we'll need straight away for that thing to happen. You're somebody who sows seed. Get sowing. That's your ability. Where do you need to sow seed? What is it God's calling me to do? Well, what is your spiritual gift? Where's your heart at? Let's start paying attention to some of those things. And we'll see where the seeds are that need to be planted, where the seeds are that need to be watered. There's obviously 
hundreds more gifts and hundreds more abilities among us. There's things that you can do which are different from what somebody else can do, but we need each other so that the whole thing gets done. It's you and me and us and God who works alongside us, co-workers together in God's field so that it can be as fruitful as it can be. Every single ability that God has placed among us He's done so so that we can be a fruitful place. That's the purpose. Paul here purposefully is saying names are meaningless, titles are meaningless. It's not about the personality, it's about the task, it's about the purpose. And what is the purpose? A lost world. So if God's entrusted you with a lot, it's because he thinks you have the ability to do a lot. If it feels like he's only trusted you with a small amount for now, It's because that's the ability that you're carrying for now. In the future, maybe it'll be more. But just don't bury what it is he's given to you. I want us just to take stock for a second, just to review your own life. With the house groups, sorry, I keep saying house groups. It's because for 20 odd years I've been in churches that have house groups and here we have life groups. It's, It's a year next week, I think, that we move down. You'd have thought I'd have got it in my head that we do life groups, wouldn't you? In our life groups, have the next slide, please, thank you. In our life groups, I'm going to send out a list, and it's quite a long list, and it is by no means a definitive list of potential abilities that God might use among us. But I want you to just spend some time, maybe later this week when you get that list in your, in your life group, <laughs> nearly did it again, in your life group or at home, and go through this list, or maybe just even think about, an alternative to this is, think about the things that you've been doing this week and where you have been called upon to do something, so you've exercised an ability, and just have a little tick box in your head. Was that something that I loved doing? Did I really love that? Did I like it? It was kind of like, yeah, it was okay, I'd, I'd do it again. Or was it something where you say I could really live without that? <laughs> And as we start to think through our lives in this way, those abilities that we have, the ones perhaps that God's stirring up with us, are likely to be high in the love and the like. You see, some of us have this idea that it has to be really, really hard for it to be God. This is too easy, it can't possibly be God. There's not enough suffering. Hands up. Okay, yep. Me too sometimes. But sometimes it isn't that hard. Sometimes we're just using our common sense and we're saying, these are the things. This is, this is the stuff that I can do. As I go through this list of 50-something things you've sent, Jonathan, this, these are the obvious ones. I can do this. Okay. So let's get practical about this. Let's start putting this into practice. Let's start realizing that we don't know when he's coming but we do know how we should live until he comes. And how we should live until he comes is we need to be connected to him and make sure that we have our own experience of the Holy Spirit, that we have that power of the Holy Spirit living in us and through us. We need to be so impacted by his love that our reaction to that is to see him in the world and to love the world that he's placed us in, to respond to the world with love. And we need to be saying to him, I'm going to use my abilities the skills I've been honing over the years. Like Paul says, one can sow, one can water. What's important is that the work gets done and God's purposes are worked out. 
final slide. We're going to finish with just this thought, really, which is I, I heartily want you to start to do this work. We're now beginning to define shape. And have you done it yet? Have you anywhere sat down with a piece of paper, your notepad on your mobile device, whatever it is, and asked yourself the question? So I'm going to start making a list here now. I think my spiritual gifts are likely to be these things. You may already know, you might not know, and you might be very, very grateful that God's put you in a community of people who you can talk to and pray with who will help you start to define perhaps what your spiritual gifts are. Well, this is what I see in you when I see God moving in your life. Might be what a good spiritually gifted friend might say to you. Have you begun that yet? Be honest with yourself, not me. I'm not looking for hands. We're not getting into guilt here. Guilt and shame really are useless in the kingdom of God. Conviction from the Spirit, that's worth gold, I tell you. That is worth gold. That's God nudging us and saying, fix this now because there's a problem. Guilt and shame just holds you back and puts you in the darkness and there's just no growth there. Bring it into the light. Let some light shine on it. Let's deal with it. I'm not into guilt and shame. I don't want you to say to me, yes, you have or not. But I want to really encourage you, as if God is making his appeal through me, is what Paul says once. Have you done this? Are you doing this? The reason we're doing this is because there's a massive purpose for us that we want to press into. Have you spent time yet and said, what are my spiritual gifts? Whatever it is, open up a new file on your computer, get a new journal. What are my spiritual gifts? Do this fun stuff. Ask yourself these questions. Where is my heart? What are the things that really move me? Who are the people that my heart is drawn to straight away? What is it that when I see it on the news, my, my ear tunes straight in? What are the things that make me cry? when I know that there's a better way. Where's your heart at? And what are your abilities? And as we begin to put these together, we begin to see the shape. We can start making sense of all the things that we've gone through in life and all that's been happening in us as we start to define our unique purpose to see God's kingdom come in all its fullness. We don't know when he's coming, but he's coming. We can get ready and we can be ready for the time when he comes by living in this prepared kind of a way. And friends, we can't just hear about it on a Sunday. It's got to be our work to work with this stuff, to figure it out, to realize who it is that God's called you to do, uh, to be, and what it is he's called you to do. Let me pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you, just as we've been hearing all morning, this incredible news that you love us, that you are for us, And Lord, over some of us, the world might have made all kinds of proclamations. You're worthless, you'll never amount to anything, you're useless, not you, never you, overlook, choose somebody else. And I believe the Lord wants to say over some of you this morning, you just need to hear it, I choose you. I choose you, I've given you a purpose. You are not useless. You are precious. You are loved. You are vital for what God is doing here in this world. What is in you is as important as what is in anybody else. Lord, would you come and just love us afresh? This can feel like hard work sometimes, Lord, but what we want is just to live in your love and to hear the affirmation of our Father saying, you can do this. There's things I've put in you that will change people. 
that will change situations and change the nation, that will shape your children, that will bring hope to your friends and your family. You're the answer to somebody's prayer. Lord, would you come and speak to us, speak to our hearts, encourage us, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you've chosen to use us, that you have a destiny for us. And this morning, Lord, we want to come again and say thank you for those abilities that you, you just put in us. It's just who we are. It's what we're naturally able to do. And those things that over months and years and decades, you've helped us to get better at doing things that others recognize about us, but things that only we know about ourselves too. Lord, thank you for all of those abilities that there are here in this family today. Lord, we want to say again, it's all yours. Help us, Lord. Help us to find our unique shape. Lord, be speaking to us this week about our spiritual gifts. Would you remind us of the things that you've put in our hearts? Lord, what are those dreams? What is it we'd give ourselves for? Lord, help us once more to realize in the mix of those abilities how it is your kingdom's going to come through us. Father, I pray that there be a lightness and a joy that comes among us. Not because you've given us a task, but because you've invited us into a partnership. That we do this together with you and with each other and by the power of your spirit. As we've been saying all morning, Lord, we need your spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you come now? I want to invite you, if you want to, to lift your hands as a sign of receiving. Would you receive the Spirit now? Lord, would you send your Spirit upon us again now? Give us fresh vision, fresh courage, fresh hope, a deeper joy, and a livelier faith in you. Holy Spirit, we're yours. Fill us up and send us out, Lord. Would you fill us up and send us out? Come by your Spirit now, Lord, bringing joy and encouragement to our hearts that we'd be everything you're calling us to be. Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to invite you to stay for tea and coffee at the end and, uh, and conversation. I really want to encourage you, if you haven't kind of started to think about this, especially the S bit, if there's folks here that know you well, why don't you get into a conversation over tea and coffee and start doing it right now? What do you think my spiritual gifts might be is such a good question you can ask a wise friend. It really is. It's a wonderful question. And it may be this morning that you need, for whatever reason, completely unrelated to anything you've heard so far today, that there's something going on in your life and you would love to have someone pray with you today. If you make your way over to this side of the church, the front there, there will be people who will come and join you and who will be delighted to pray for you today. And so go in peace. May God's joy go with you this day and always. Amen. Amen.